Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you so much for each one here today. Bless uh, Children's Church, Father, and help the kids just to really enjoy it and have a good time. And workers back there as well, those in nursery, may they have a good time. And may they mention uh, you and plant seeds of faith in the hearts of those little ones there. And also, Father, I pray that you will just move in our midst. May we recognize that. May we recognize you touching each of our hearts personally. And may you be glorified. Trust you, Father, with this message. Let it feed your sheep. May it bring you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of today's message is Pierced. Owen alluded to that as well, about piercing of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But I want to just talk to you a little bit. This message is going to be a little bit about a teaching message, preaching message. When I was praying over this, I said, Lord, let it be teaching, preaching. You know, but if it comes out teaching, then it's teaching. But I, I'm praying the preaching is in there, too. So we're going to look at uh, a little study, if you will, looking at an original Hebrew text that's rich with insights. And if we don't look at it in the Hebrew text, we miss it in the English translation of our Bibles. And so it, it's, it has to do with piercing. It has to do with what God is doing and how God operates. So I want to look today at the root word in Hebrew that shows up in multiple verses and brings to light something we wouldn't have seen in English, as I've said before. The word is kalel. And it's interesting, we were singing hallelujah, the same, the same letters right there in hallelujah as well. How many of you know what hallelujah means? Halle, praise, le, uh, halle, praise, lu, the, yah is Lord, Jehovah. Praise the Lord. Praise Jehovah. Okay? So when we sing hallelujah, it's a conjunction of Hebrew words together. So praise God for that. So we're looking at kalel is the Hebrew word. And this word has multiple meanings. And that's what we want to look at. That's what we're going to focus on. Because I believe it will help us to focus on our entering into the Lord's Supper as well. It ties right into that. So it has multiple meanings that almost seem to be in opposition to each other. It's a weird definition that can work in different directions, and that hopefully you understand as we go on. And it depends on what verse the word is used in. So I want to look at three different passages of Scripture this morning, uh, not lengthy passages, just the Scripture, all right, that contain this word in it. We're going to look at it and how it's applied. And so we're going to start with a verse in Leviticus 21:23, and we're going to find the word uh, kalel in there. Now, we can also find this translation is the Tree of Life version, which is the Messianic Jewish Bible. And it says this, But he is not to approach the curtain or to come near the altar because of the defect on him, so that he may not desecrate my sanctuaries, for I am Adonai, the Lord, who sanctifies them. So in looking at this setup, we're looking at, when you look at the, the holy place of God in the, in the temple, there were restrictions on people approaching the holy place. And the, re the requirement for them to enter into the holy place or the holy of holies, which is two different compartments of the temple of God, the requirement for that was that they had to be clean of sin. They had to have a clean conscience before God. They, have had, they would have had to make their own sacrifices to the Lord to take care of those sins so that when they walked into the presence where God was, because God is what? God is holy, and so God requires our hearts to be right with him to be able to approach him. 
And so again, but he is not to approach the curtain or come near the altar because of the defect on him so that he may not desecrate my sanctuaries for I am Adonai who, sa who sanctifies them. So we've got to be right when we approach the Lord. You know, if, we're gonna, if we want to be in God's presence in our prayer time, in our walk with him, the key is that we keep our hearts right with God. In this verse, Kalel is translated desecrate. It's kind of like um, graffiti, okay, or to profane. It's to, to mark up and to disgrace. And so in a sense, when we approach God with a heart that's not right with God, we're profaning. We're, we're writing graffiti, so to speak. We're approaching him um, in a way that's not worthy, that dishonors him. And that has an effect on our relationship with God. So the entrance of someone who was in sin into God's sanctuary pierced or broke through the holiness and caused it to be desecrated or defiled, violated or disrespected. So um, from the temple aspect, you're looking at the, a priest going in, or all the, all the priests of the Levitical tribe that, that served the temple, when they went into a place of service, they had to be clean and right with God. We know in the Old Testament, there were places where God said, you will not touch that, at least you die. You're going to, this is the rule, this is my standard, this is, this is the holiness of God, and I have mandates on how you will approach me. And so if they approached him incorrectly, then they were, um, many of them just died. Right? We know, praise God, we're not under that today. We have, the, we have the free will to enter into God's presence anytime we want to because our sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. We're in Christ and he's in us, and we can approach him anytime we want to. But note that if we are harboring sin in our lives, then that relationship with God will be hindered. And that's what's happening here, is that, that when it says, when I wrote down and said, the entrance of someone who was in sin, the person entering that holy place into God's sanctuary, pierced or broke through the holiness and caused it to be defiled or desecrated, violated or disrespected. So let me, let me look at this this way. Our sin does not diminish God's holiness. Our sin defiles or quenches his Holy Spirit. So here's God. He's in the temple. You walk in with sin. It, it pierces through in the sense that it affects the presence of God. It affects the, the reality and the awareness of God. And so when you and I approach God in prayer with a wrong heart or in any, any other way, as far as approaching God, and we don't have a right heart, it, we don't feel that closeness with God. So the key to having a close relationship with God and being in his presence is to keep our hearts right with him. Does that make sense? Holiness is kind of pressed back. It's pierced into. It's interrupted. It's, it's, it's defiled when we approach God who is holy and we're not made right with God. Right? You understand that? We're made right in Christ, but we also, James talks about the fact that we are to keep our garments unspotted. We're clothed in robes of righteousness as, as priests of God, as children of God, a holy priesthood, a royal, a royal nation, clothed in robes of righteousness, depicted like in the Old Testament with the Levites serving the temple. And so you and I are priests in, this, in the new covenant, 
representing Christ as ambassadors of Christ to lead people to Christ to have to help people come from where they are to where God is and to have a right right relationship with them. And if we allow ourselves to become um, defiled by sin, we fall in sin. James tells us that we're to confess and repent, First John 1 9, and deal with those sins so that it keeps our garments spotless. You know what it really is saying? It keeps our conscience clear before God so we can effectively live for Him. And so when a person entered into that holy place, was it right? The effectiveness of the relationship wasn't there. And God was interfered with. And the, and the presence of God was, was, uh, was uh, defiled and God retracts. Okay? So the piercing or kalal of the sanctuary with sin resulted in the removal or the quenching of holiness and the introduction of the unclean. Okay? That is, it presents sin. When sin enters into an area that's supposed to be holy, it has an ill effect. Right? It quenches the spirit. You've all heard it. If we're not right with God, we quench the spirit of God. That means that the effective working of God, the presence of God, is not as uh, uh, clear to us or aware to us because we're not making sure our heart is right with the Lord. I think that's clear, right? We each can quench the spirit. And as a family in Christ, we come to church without a right heart, it will quench the spirit of God's movement in our congregation and within our church, as well as in our personal lives. And so an example of this is don't let sin interfere with the presence of God in our heart or in our church. And that's just walking with Jesus, right? Being in fellowship with him, uh, having a clear conscience with him. And as we deal with sin on a regular basis, because we all sin all the time, we just acknowledge it, ask God to forgive us, and we move on. And we keep ourselves in a right relationship with God, clean, gar clean garments. So we got that picture right. That's the first, that's the first picture of Kalel in that holy setting that sin interferes and pushes back the presence of God, if you will. And Isaiah 53, 5, again, this is a tree of life version of the Messianic Bible. It says, but he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, the chastisement for our shalom, or peace, was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. By the way, Isaiah 53 is the most prominent, Bible, uh, prominent text in the Old Testament that clearly points to Christ and his death on the cross. Okay? And so here we have that what Christ would go through would bring forth peace for us. Shalom, or peace. All right? Now think about it. Who is Jesus? God the Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three in one. Jesus is God in the flesh, right? So we have Jesus who's God in the flesh, who is sinless, who is perfectly holy because he's God in the flesh, right? Became a, a, that person that was pierced for what? Our sin, our transgressions. He was crushed because of our sins or iniquities, and the chastisement of our shalom or peace was upon him. What does that mean? It means that God took what was holy and put all the sin of all of us, of, of all the world, John 3, 16, put the sin of all mankind on Jesus. Now we have a reverse. We have a picture of holiness 
with all sin being put on him for the purpose of making us right with God. That involves the word kalel in there. And so, so reading it again for context-wise, but he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement of our shalom or peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed, forgiven. When we receive Christ as our Savior, God looks at us, whether we like hearing it or not, whether we understand it or not, the reality is God sees us as saints. Not because of who we are, not because we're better than anyone else, but because of what Jesus did. He sees us now completely clean through the shed blood of Christ, applied to our lives by our faith in receiving Jesus as our Savior. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. But Jesus, who is God, who is holy and perfect, without sin, had to become all, all sin put upon him for the sake of providing peace or salvation for you and I. For he who knew no sin became sin, that we might know the righteousness of God in him. 1 Corinthians 5.21 So Jesus was pierced, or kalel, for our sin, so that we might be saved and made holy. So you see the difference? The first one was, here's the holy presence of God. Our sin comes in and pushes God away. This one is, here's holy God, Jesus in the flesh, who had sin put on him, who became sin for the promise that we would be given eternal life. Interesting, but it's still the same word. It's still the same word. So this is just the opposite effect of what happened in, in the Leviticus verse. That's to desecrate or profane his temple. Now we're looking at we are taking Jesus and we're making him sin, all sin put on him. It took God coming to us and being pierced for us. Remember he was pierced, right, with the sword. Remember his back was filleted open. Historians say you could see the, the organs when people were, where people were whipped with the whip, um, as Jesus was, that, the, that it would pull the flesh out so much so that you could see organs in their body that pulled the flesh off of them. But we know all the gruesome details of pulled uh, arms out of the, the, the shoulders out of the sockets, the nails in the hand and feet. To get air, you had to push up on your feet, which was pushing up on the stake through both your feet, right, in order to get air and then drop back down and suffocate and then push back up and get air and drop back down and suffocate. It's a horrible, horrible thing. But Jesus went through that for us to make the unclean, that's you and I, clean. That's why he did it. He did it to make us clean, right? We who are with sin cannot enter and go to God. Man cannot enter into a relationship with God on their own, right? It has to be through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me, right? He's the mediator between man and God the Father. Only through him can we be saved. And so... If we're with sin and not right with God, meaning not saved in this case, or in our walk with God and we're not willing to be right with God, it affects our relationship with him. But more specifically, if we're not saved, we can't on our own go to God and have a relationship with him. We cannot pierce into God's holiness like the first example. We can't just step in on our own into God's presence. 
we just can't do it. Why? Because we're sinners that need to be forgiven and need God's grace to save us. So we can't do it on our own. We cannot pierce into God's holiness because in our own efforts, our sin remains and we stay unclean. Our sin only contaminates the clean when we try to do that. So if you and I try to approach God, in a sense, we're, con we're contaminating uh, that holy presence. We're not contaminating God, we're contaminating the circumstances. It's like the graf graffiti on the side of a church. Okay? All right? Our sin only contaminates the clean when we try to do that. So we need Jesus to cleanse us from our sin first. Now, if you're here and you've never asked Christ in your life, and you're hearing a message online, know that the gospel message is very clear. All of us in this room most likely know this. But we need to be reminded, Jesus died on the cross, took upon himself your sin and my sin, and the sin of the world upon himself. He who was holy was made sin, took the punishment and wrath of God on the cross that we deserve, so that we can have salvation and eternal life and be right with God and have that relationship with him. So if we believe that, that Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose from the dead and we ask God to forgive us our sins and come live in our heart, then he will come live in our heart and never leave us or forsake us and we'll be saved. And we will be seen by God as absolutely clean because of the, the blood of Christ that was shed for us that we accepted as we receive Christ into our life. We only need to believe, obviously, that he died and was resurrected for us. But now I want to look at Kalel and a few more verses and see how it's used. In 1 Kings 1.40, again, um, uh, uh, the living, the Tree of Life Bible, excuse me. All the people went up after him. This is in context of King Solomon being having his coronation. Okay. So all the people went up after him while the people were playing on flutes and rejoicing with great joy so that the ground shook at their noise. The word playing here is kalal. And that's where I saw that also in the hallelujah. Okay, it's in there. So the root word for the word playing is kalal. Okay, so we see the one is, one is uh, the first is the, is that we're piercing into God's presence with sin. The other is that sin was put on Christ, and now we're seeing playing uh, music like this is, to, to, um, is another form of kalal. So the people were making so much noise at Solomon's coronation and praise to God that the ground shook. I love that. I love that. Kathy and I experienced this once at a Billy Graham crusade at what was known as Arco Arena up in Sacramento years back. And uh, there were so many people at the stadium that they filled the parking lot and put large screens out there so we could sit outside um, in a drive-in theater style and watch the crusade. Um, and while we were outside, Michael W. Smith came up on the stage and he started playing Breathe. And the worship and praising was so overwhelming and filled with the Holy Spirit's presence that our praises also shook the arena and ground. Now, get the picture. Have you, ever, have, have you ever been to a place, and I'm sure you have, where you're worshiping God and the presence of God is so obvious to you? You're just like, wow, 
God is here. Look, I can just feel him. He, I, I, there's no denial. There he is. But then think about praising God with such unity, like at the arena, thousands of people, right? And the ground begins to shake from the reverberation of the praise. That's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's not stopping their feet. That's praising God, right? And the ground began to shake. That was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And those vibrate, those vibrate, oh, excuse me, speak it. <laughs> those vibrations that we could feel, um, we could feel them clear out into the parking lot. So it wasn't just the arena, the parking lot was feeling it too. What effect do you think that that had on God? Hmm. This playing of music, or kalel, pierces what sound engineers call the, some of you guys might know, the sound floor, or the noise floor. What that means is that there's uh, the normal uh, awareness of your surroundings and the sounds that all, that's out there. So the normalcy of, of the surroundings and its noise is the sound floor. So if you break the sound floor, it's like hearing a mic drop in the, and during service. So before the mic drops, that's the sound floor. We hear the noise in the sanctuary and whatever's going on. The mic drops and the reverberation kicks in and we all go, ah! That's breaking the sound floor, all right? So in military terms, they would use this with trumpets. And the trumpets would blow and it would break the sound floor. And so it was something that would catch the attention above the normal surround, surrounding sounds. The normal atmosphere was changed, right? And so, um, I got ahead of myself. And so, the military would use that as a way to catch attention. You hear the trumpet. When Jesus comes back and the trumpet is blown, we're going to hear it, right? And so that's, that's breaking the sound floor. That's being above the normal, all right? Let's look at one more verse where a sound floor was pierced, Psalm 22.4. It's also in some of your translations, it's in Psalm 22.3. That's because the, uh, I'm using the Tree of Life version, the uh, Messianic Bible, all right? It's just the numbering's a little off. So Psalm 22.4, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Now, enthroned in the praises of Israel. God inhabits our praises. So our praises break the sound floor, and God inhabits them. It's like our sound of worship from, from a heart that's right, a heart that's genuine, a heart that's focused, and collectively together or individually in our own praise of God, we're lifting up that praise of God that breaks the, the sound floor and pierces into heaven. You know, a couple messages I've mentioned, the fact that of our connection with heaven from earth and heaven. This is another way we're connected, that our praises will enthrone God. He inhabits our praises. We, we, we lift up. See, we can have a loud worship service. That doesn't mean we broke the sound floor. But when we have a service where our hearts are focused and the Spirit of God is working, and we know 
things are happening that way and we're praising God and God is honoring our hearts of praise, that enters, it pierces in to his throne room. Praise God for that. Our praises as Christians pierce through the physical to the spiritual. From here to there. They pierce through to God and bring his presence to us. So we not only, it only, not only affects his throne in heaven, but we have the, the fullness of awareness of the very presence of God. So when we're worshiping him and with that right heart, we, might, we, we feel that, but know also that as we feel the Holy Spirit's presence, that it's being felt in heaven too. It's piercing into heaven. You look at that perspective of God being in heaven, Jesus being in heaven, and hearing the praises of his children on earth from generation to generation, piercing his presence. They're down there, they're praising me, and it's just he's enthroned in that praise. We know even, we know even that the stars of the universe emanate its own sound. The earth has its own resonating sound. Everything he made has, in the universe has its sound it puts out, even different colors that it puts out. And so you look at it, as, at it like uh, all the stars harmoniously working together to praise God. And you say, well, that's kind of inanimate. What did Jesus say? He says, I'll make these stones to praise me. So God made the heavens to praise him. And beauty and in sound harmoniously together, but your praise and my praise with a right heart is what he desires the most, and it pierces into heaven. Praise God for that. The stars are below, but our, our praise can pierce into heaven. So yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our praises as Christians pierce through the physical to the spiritual. They pierce through to God and bring his presence to us. So as Christians, we can alter the atmosphere around us and create a dwelling place for God when we praise him. If we're praising God with that right heart, I've already said it a number of times, then we're, we're really focused on him, our heart is right, we're, we're loving him, and we're, we're worshiping God. Jesus says he looks for us to worship in spirit and in truth. If we're not worshiping in spirit, we're missing the boat. It's a habit. It's not in spirit. It is a spiritual thing that changes the atmosphere around us, just like when we're in prayer. When we're approaching God in prayer, when we're approaching his throne of grace, when we're approaching that holy place that is always open to us, when our hearts are right, we will feel the very presence of God in a greater way around us. We are connecting, meeting with God in prayer. But if our heart wasn't right, that would be constrained like entering into the temple, piercing into the temple, going into the temple with sin, it would push back. So if you feel like you're away from God and far from God, a good thing to do is check how you are with God. <laughs> because we've got to be right with God to have a close relationship with God. And is that not true in any relationship? You've got to be right with one another to have a close relationship. And so... Again, as Christians, we can alter the atmosphere around us and create a dwelling place for God when we praise him. It's a beautiful way to change what we might be experiencing in our physical realm into something wonderful. I keep going back to this example because I'm old and I have no more stories. So, but I've told you many times, I'm having a bad day. 
I'm in a grumpy mood. I'm not a happy person. And I'm piddling around maybe in the kitchen. And down deep in my heart and my soul, I hear a hymn going on. I hear a hymn that I've learned all, all my years as a Christian. Or I hear a praise song kicking in. And I hear my flesh saying, no, I don't want to praise God. No, no, I'm just mad. Ah, you know, and I'm just at that place. But, sorry, baby, I'm sorry. But if I, if I am sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is saying, Terry, I love you. I know what you're going through. I want to soothe your heart with some peace. So embrace me, stirring your heart to praise me, because if you praise me, I will bless you. He's going to be blessed. I'm going to be blessed. He's going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. And so when we praise him with a genuineness, it can change our atmosphere around us. It can change our, our circumstance of our heart and our mindset. Start praising God. Start giving thanks to God with praise. Start thanking him. Lord, thank you I didn't lose all my hair. Lord, thank you that I have most of my teeth. Lord, thank you. Fill in whatever you want. We can always find something to thank God with and praise him, and it will change the atmosphere. It will change how we are feeling, how we are thinking, and it will change our circumstance into something, frankly, more beautiful than ugly and frustrating. So we can uh, experience in a beautiful way change um, in our own physical realm, we can change that into something wonderful. Our attitudes while praising God and singing worship songs is important. So, you, How many of you like it, and this is rhetorical, of course, when you leave church and you go, oh, man, I could feel the Holy Spirit. Not only in the praise and the worship, but in the message and the time together, God was there. What a blessing that is. But that comes with us having that right heart. It comes with us seeking God with a genuineness of heart. So no praise should be done out of routine. Amen? Shouldn't be routine. Okay, now it's time to sing. Okay, now it's time to do this or that. No praise should be done out of routine. Instead, praise should be done out of a true heart desire to be in God's presence. That's what praise is. Now, before I go on, I want to just mention three, uh, reiterate the three points that we covered real quickly. Okay, one, so we can try to approach God with unconfessed sin, but that will desecrate or quench God's holy presence. Two, remember Jesus, who is holy, allowed himself to be desecrated with sin, that we would be made holy in him. And three, so let our praise to him break the sound floor of earth that God might inhabit our praise in heaven. Those are the three points. And they all are from the same root word of kalel in Hebrew. So now we're, gonna go, go, now we're going to further enter God's presence, obviously with the Lord's Supper. And when he partook of his last supper with his disciples, there was a, a picture there. There was a, a testament testament there um, it's important to note not to enter this holy time the Lord's Supper in a way that would kalel or desecrate it 1 Corinthians 11 tells us if we approach the Lord's Supper with the wrong heart that many are sick many even sleep 
and that word sleep, die. In other words, God takes it very seriously that we approach the Lord's Supper with a right heart. Any believer that's in fellowship with God is, is free to partake of the Lord's Supper. And, we're, and, we, and he's commanded us to do so, to remember him. It's important that we examine ourselves and seek his forgiveness for our sin and our sins. Right within the Passover Seder, we know what the Passover Seder is? The Jewish Passover meal. And the Lord's Supper service is a reminder of Jesus' piercing. How in the Passover is Jesus in the, how is Jesus in the Passover Seder? In the matzah. The matzah or unleavened bread had holes all through it. And it was a shadow of, of Christ who was pierced for us. So you might see, you know, you see the Da Vinci picture of the Lord's Supper. If they got fluffy bread, that's not matzah. If you see a giant saltine unsalted, that's the matzah. <laughs> okay, but the matzah is, and when it's cooked, it's got grill marks on it. And that represents the stripes that the Messiah took for us as well. And so the Passover matzah was a foreshadow of the piercing that our bread of life would endure on the cross for us. And Jesus prophesied to his disciples in the upper room using the matzah in 1 Corinthians 11:24. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in memory of me. And of course, at that time, the disciples didn't know what he was talking about. Father, we want to be your people that reflect your character. We want to be your children that um, bring you joy. And Father, I already know that we bring you joy because you're in us and we're in you. We're created in your image and you love us with a love that's immeasurable. And I thank you and praise you for that. Help us to each one of us not just to know you better, but to love you more deeply, more than we ever have. And help our hearts, Father, to genuinely seek to always be in check with you, to walk with you in fellowship, to enjoy your presence that way with greater meaning. And I pray, Father, please, that we will be the light and the salt, your people in a world of darkness that um, shine brighter than any star in the universe, that we are representing you, and I pray you'll be well pleased with us. Bless this Lord's Supper time, Father. Let us partake of it with um, clear minds, clear hearts, clear conscience, with a joy and a reverence and a love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.